So as uh, we looked at two weeks ago, Pastor Tony started us here on Samson, the first part of Samson, and you see the uh, parts of Samson where um, he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, and he killed a lion with his bare hands, and so we get to chapter 16, and uh, so we get to the latter part, and we'll end uh, with the passing of Samson here tonight. And so, you know, you look at Samson's life, and so the last few weeks, and I know Pastor Tony could say the same thing for the two weeks prior, you, you spend two or three weeks with the text, and you get very familiar with that text, and you start to see themes, and God starts to show you things. And, and so I think, you know, as we start tonight, you would all agree, and, you know, it would be probably very hilarious if we were, you know, for the sake of time, we had time for you to share have you ever done the wrong thing twice? You ever done that? You know, you didn't learn it the first time, so you said, oh, I think I'll do it wrong again, right? You know, that, that's happened before. I remember years ago, um, I was younger. I mean, I'm only 25, so it wasn't too long ago. And uh, we were at a church, and I was serving on staff, and uh, we lived in the parsonage. You know, for those of you who may or may not be familiar, that used to be a thing where I guess it still is in some places, where the pastor would stay in a house that was owned by the church uh, as part of the compensation. And so uh, we lived in the parsonage, which basically means you get a lot of phone calls to go and turn the oven on for some small group, you know, at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And uh, so I had pulled into the parsonage one day, and I ran over the water meter box as I pulled in, which was, you know, sticking up six, eight inches with my truck. Well, of course, it broke the PVC pipe, and so water starts gushing out. So I pull up, and, you know, I'm panicking. You know, what in the world have I just done? So I think, well, you know, I don't know how to fix this, and so I should probably call someone. And so now my front yard is literally a river, and uh, so I called and said, hey, you know, Mr. Terry, I need you to come down here. Um, I made a mistake. I ran over the water main, and so uh, water's going, no problem. He worked for the water department, so he said, no problem, I'll come down there and I can get it fixed. So 15, 20 minutes later, Mr. Terry shows up. He gets down there. And so, you know, I stand out and, you know, hand tools and stuff. And so about 30 minutes later, the box is back in place. You know, there's mud everywhere now. The box is back in place. The water line's fixed. Everything's good. And so, you know, in grace, he said, hey, I'm going to put a couple of these yellow cones, uh, these orange cones in front of uh, the water meter to make sure that you remember where it is from now on. I said, all right, man, thank you. That's great. I appreciate that. So I run inside, and uh, Natalie had not long been born, and so I run inside, and so Melanie's inside with Natalie, and I eat a sandwich real quick, and so I hop back out, and so, you know, my life is normally full speed. It was back then. It was always something I need to be doing or somewhere I need to be going. So I hop in the truck, without any thought of the water line behind my truck that I just ran over and pulled forward in, put the truck in reverse and back right over that water line again, <laughs> smash the water line, break the box, water's going everywhere. So now my truck gets the second wash of the day. And I call Mr. Terry back. Now, you can imagine what this phone call is like. I feel like the biggest idiot on the planet. And I said... I have no excuses. I just ran over the water line again. I need you to come back. Right? I mean, it was just, what do you say? What, what do you say? Now, 
you know, thankfully, I, I don't do as dumb a things as, as often as then. But, you know, as I was thinking about Samson and I thought about that story, because we, we all can relate to that, right? That there's things in our life, and maybe you didn't break a water line twice, but I can assure you that you've done the same stupid thing twice in your life, and maybe three times or four times. And one of the things that we learn from the story of Samson, we're, we're really not going to dig in much tonight on, is that God was very patient with Samson. As a matter of fact, when you read through Judges, and we've talked about this often in our D group, is that God was very patient with most of the judges in Judges. I mean, you think about uh, the story of, of Gideon and how he wanted the fleece, and then he wanted the fleece another way, and he wanted to do this way. And what did God do? God was patient. He was long-suffering with Gideon. And we see the same thing with Samson, that, that God had a great plan for Samson's life. And I would say today that you may not have supernatural strength that Samson had. You may not, like Samson, Samson have long and luscious locks of hair uh, that he had. But here's what you do have in common with Samson, and that God has called you to do something. That God has called you to be a part of building his kingdom. And something else that you have in common with Samson that you and I don't have in common with a lot of people in the Old Testament is that we have the experience of the indwelling of the Spirit of God that Samson, at multiple times in the book, in the chapters 15 and 16, where the Bible says that the Spirit of God rushed upon Samson. We know what that's like. Samson knew what that was like. And so God was showing Samson that in spite of the fact that you have failed, and we're going to talk about this tonight, in spite of the fact that you constantly face temptation, and in Samson's case, often give in to temptation, there was still a God who loved him and was patient with him. And so as we look at this story, uh, we left off a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Pastor Tony talked about where... uh, Samson had just killed a thousand Philistines with the jaw bone of a donkey. And uh, then Samson was thirsty. And so God split open a rock to provide water for him to drink. And so the, the last part of chapter 15, it says in verse 20 that he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. So Samson has this long tenure as a judge or a rescuer a leader of the Israelites. And so here's Samson's story, and we pick up in chapter 16. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place, and they set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait until the light of morning, and then we'll kill him. So Samson goes down, we see a third time to meet a woman, and here he is moving forward, again giving into his flesh. So we immediately see that Samson is just like me, and maybe ultimately just like you, that he often does the same wrong thing over and over. This is the second now encounter with the woman that we see with Samson, The first was the woman that he wanted for his wife in Timnah a couple of chapters earlier. And so here's Samson in the middle of participating in an act of sin. It says that 
he saw a prostitute and he went into her. And so here he is in the middle of participating in an act of sin. And the word gets out that Samson is in town. Now, he's the big enemy, right? You know, first of all, he's, you know, just killed a thousand Philistines. And so, A, they're captivated by him. B, they're terrified of him. And C, they want to kill him. And so they attempt to trap him. And so instead of learning and instead of depending upon God in this, Samson once again depends upon his own strength. So in verse 3 it says Samson, but Samson lay until midnight. So Samson is, you know, following the flesh. And then at midnight he arose and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and he pulled them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders and he carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, you know, there's some debate on how far he went. Most people believe that he just went outside of the city. Uh, But if you read into the text, some people would say that he may have carried the gates as far as 37 miles, which would be unbelievable. Uh, But to carry it even to the top of the the hill um, in front of Hebron was quite the task because think of what city gates represented. They represented security, right? This was where we're all going to go to sleep, we're going to close the gate, and we're going to be safe for tonight. Well, apparently you're not safe when Samson's around because he tore everything up, post and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them away. And so here's Samson again, depending upon himself. He's participating in an act of sin, and instead of asking God to guide him or to give him discernment, Samson's not interested in that. What Samson's interested in is showing out how bad and how big and bad Samson himself is. And so Samson is not listening to God. Now here's something we would all agree with tonight, that it's real hard to listen to God when you're running from Him, right? It's real hard to hear what God is saying when you're going the opposite direction of where God is. And so what Samson had done is he began to pursue Samson. And his heart began to use God's blessings as a reason to forget who God is and what specifically that God had called Samson to do. We, we saw this a few chapters earlier. You see, Samson in his own mind could do no wrong. And what happens, I think, with our flesh as it's happened with Samson is that Samson gets some good things going in his life and he begins to believe his own lies. And so as Samson begins to look in the mirror every day, Samson starts to believe, hey, you know, you're a pretty good guy. Man, you, you, uh, your muscles are looking pretty strong there, Samson. Hey, look, remember it was your biceps that tore those gates out of the ground, or it was your hand that killed the Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey. And so he began to believe his own lies. And so he got to the point to where he lived only to please himself. At this point, Samson is clearly not on the mission that God called him to be on. So what does, what does God do? Well, you know, normally what happens in those situations is that by the grace of God, God will still work in our weaknesses, that God will still work in our failures and use them for us. You see, the Bible says that God works all things out to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So when, when God is working in our life, it is in spite of the fact that we are sinners, right? And so God still continues to work. We see this 
uh, certainly exhibited in the life of Samson. But what happens when we are in sin is that we take the gifts of God and the strengths that God has given us, and we use them against him. Samson is not giving glory to God. The Philistines are not looking at Samson and declaring how great his God is. They're afraid of Samson, not Samson's God. You see, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he, you've heard it many times, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world today. That is the internal strength of the Spirit of God working in your life that fleshes itself out and the ability to do things that maybe you ordinarily would not be able to do yourself. But Samson did not operate like that. No, Samson operated from the perspective of, I can do anything, I don't lose. And so he became very arrogant. He became, he became very cocky. You see, this is exactly what happened to Gideon. Remember, Gideon won a few battles, and so he started going around and picking on people who didn't fight with him or do things the way that he wanted them to be done. And he allowed his successes to go to his head. But thankfully, and you may not feel this way, but it's certainly true, thankfully, more often than not, there is a price to pay for that. That God doesn't just let us run crazy in our arrogance, or God doesn't let us run crazy in our self-dependence. Because what often happens in those situations is we see the outward appearance. And what the Philistines saw in Samson, and what we often see in ourselves, is we see the results of actions, or we see the results of things that we desire in our life that result in something good. And so we begin to believe that there's a process for good things to happen, that if I just recipe those things, then God will bless me, right? If I go to church, God will bless me. If I, you know, do what God wants me to do, that God will bless me. That if I do the right things, on the outside, it may look like a win. And so what may seem like success on the outside may actually not be success on the inside. Have you ever done the right thing but felt really bad about it because you had the wrong motive? Has that ever happened to you? Or have you ever tried to do the right thing with the right motive but something wrong turned out, you know, the exact opposite? You see, oftentimes, and this is maybe if you don't hear anything that I say tonight, that you would spend some time thinking about this. What may seem like success on the inside could often cost much more than what it appears. Let me say that again. What what may seem like success on the inside can often cost much more than it appears. You see, oftentimes we begin to believe our own lies. And we measure success by what we want and our desires instead of what God wants. Or, you know, said another way, I wanted to make sure that you had a copy of that being said, said another way then, is that our outward gains, they're often attached to inward losses. That's oftentimes when we get what we want, we don't get what we need. You see, Samson was getting what he wanted. On the outside, it appeared that he could date any woman that he wanted, you know, to really, you know, PG that up, right? He could get anything that he wanted. He was bigger than anyone. He could defeat anyone. And so on the outside, it seemed like he was getting gains. But the reality was Samson was losing more in his life at this moment than he's ever lost, period. 
because he was losing on the inside. The opposite is certainly true, that sometimes there's inward gains that happen in our life that are often attached to outward losses. Because the truth of the matter is that when you and I don't get what we want, when there's things that we don't need but we want, but we don't get those things, that is a win. Because what God is showing us is it's not what you want, what you need. What you need is what God wants, right? And so if we continue to pursue the I want instead of what God wants, we're going to end up with victory on the outside and loss on the inside. And so in our own lives, the, the, the metric that we've got to measure by is, am I desiring the things that God wants? Because Samson is desiring the things that Samson wants. You see, it seemed like Jesus, as I thought about this, I thought about other examples. You see, I thought about Jesus. While it seemed like Jesus was losing publicly, praise God, we know that that was not the case, that Jesus did what? Even though he publicly died on the cross, which seemed to be a victory for the enemy, was actually a victory for you and for me. Amen? And so what happened was it looked like Jesus was losing, but in reality, it was a massive victory. You see, not getting what we want, but getting what we need leads us to trust God more. And so what Samson had a tendency to do was he would toy with temptation. You see, what happens when we live in an I want world is that temptation becomes normal to us. And we began to allow temptation to stick around. You know, if there were, uh, let's say that you lived in a neighborhood and there was a dangerous dog that lived in your neighborhood. Would you allow that dangerous dog every time your child went out to play, to play in the same yard as you? Of course not. You would do something about that. You would put up a fence. You would have a conversation with the neighbor. You would do something, right? You would call animal control. I don't know. You would do something to make sure that there, were, there was safety. But yet, in our own lives, when it comes to temptation, this is not the case. And so we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about temptation. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about in your own life, I want you to think about what is your greatest temptation? Now, you know, for everybody's sake in the room, and certainly for yours individually, thank God we're not going to share that, right? But there needs to be somebody in your life that you're saying, hey, this is what I struggle with the most, you see, there's something in your life that you struggle with. Samson, and we're going to dig in a little bit, Samson struggled with women. Samson struggled with the temptation of other women. And he gave in to that all the time. But, you know, it's easy for us to point fingers at Samson and say, well, man, I mean, don't you see that, Samson? God called you to do something, and you're toying around with, with these ladies. But the, tr- the same thing is true in our own lives. I, I don't know what your sin is, and I don't need to know. But I can guarantee you, every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, you know, there is a temptation that really, really bogs me down. And the danger for most of us is not that we don't identify it. The danger is that we don't do anything about it. And see, what Samson did not do is he didn't do anything about it. He didn't resist the temptation. He welcomed it. And here's why Samson welcomed the temptation. Because Samson believed in his own life that he had the strength to resist that temptation. Now, in Samson's life, do you see any indications in his character that he can resist anything? 
I mean, he can't resist destroying a lion with his hands. He can't resist destroying a donkey, ripping its jawbone out and killing a thousand people. He can't resist. Think about the lady at Timnah, the first woman that he sent his parents down for. He simply saw her and he says, I want to marry her. And they said, hey, maybe there's another option. He says, no, that's what I want. I want you to go get her. And of course it didn't work out, but that's what he wanted. He didn't resist anything. And the truth of the matter is, there is a a sin in in your life that is consistently showing back up. And the reason it continues to show up is the same reason that Samson dealt with this issue is because there is no resisting of it. Now, I'm not saying saying you're participating in it. I want to be very clear here. I'm saying that you are not distancing yourself from it. Samson is not distancing himself from temptation. And because of that, many Christians have lost their spiritual strength for the same reason Samson did. You say, well, I want God to work in my life. Well, you know, let's remember the principles of divinity, okay? That the wages of sin is death. Why is that? Because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God, right? And so when there's sin present in your life, is the activity of God going to be reflective in your life? That's a good question, right? Because sometimes the answer is God is going to accomplish His purposes, and sometimes the answer is God is going to distance Himself because you have removed yourself with sin, right? And so in Samson's life, we see that he, is, he will lose the spiritual strength of what God has called him to do because of temptation. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to beat yourself up because there's sin in your life. All right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody knows that everybody is a sinner, okay? So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, you know, he's right. There is sin in my life. Of course there is. So I I just want to make the point that the reality of temptation is constant for everyone, okay? Now, we're going to talk about how to work through that, but so don't beat yourself up yet. You see, James 1 says this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So James is saying, here's what sin looks like, okay? Here's how it it begins. It begins with being enticed or being uh, lured in or tempted by our own desire. But that in and of itself is not the sin, Okay, follow me here. Verse 15, James goes on. He says, Then desire, when it has conceived, and this uh, reference is on the bottom of the back of your handout. This desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So what happens is that we're tempted, and then we have a choice of whether or not to act upon that temptation. And when we act upon that temptation... The Bible says that that's when desire conceived gives birth to sin, and then again sin brings death. So it is not temptation that is the sin, but it is the act. Does that make sense? That is the sin. And so we pick up in Judges chapter 4, verse 4 rather, and it says, After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. So here's Samson doing what? toying with temptation, and again, exposing himself to it. So now he finds Delilah. And it says, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and they said, hey, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. 
and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will, give each, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So it was believed that there were five of them that offered this to Delilah. And so for 20 years, Samson has experienced the thrill of victory. Right? 20 years he's ruled. And he has become complacent with the possibility of defeat. You see, I think the longer we walk with God, if we're not careful, if we don't keep our guard up, that we can lessen the ability in our minds of what sin can do. That we can lessen the ability. And so here's Delilah, who ultimately will be his demise, but he's lowered his defenses, right? And so here they're coming to Delilah and they say, hey, we want to give you some money. Now, it was the equivalent of over 500 years of, of wages, That's a lot of money. And so in verse 6, Delilah says to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm just, if someone tells me that, I'm not telling you the answer. Right? Hey, how can I beat you? Oh, it's simple. Let me tell you how to beat me. Right? I mean, who... It just doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, you know what happens when you're blinded by the flesh? You do stupid things. And so Delilah didn't beat around the bush. Delilah asked directly, how can I defeat you? And dummy Samson starts giving her answers, right? So here Samson starts, you know, we'll see in verse 7, he starts to give her the things that she should do. And so I was thinking about this and I thought about who would actually do that? I mean, who would, who would say, oh, it, it's simple. I mean, all you got to do is cut my hair and it's game over for me. I mean, no one is going to tell their enemy, and clearly the Philistines are his enemy, how to defeat them. But as I, as I thought about that and I, I prayed about this situation with Samson, here's what I realized. In Samson's life, Sin has become so brazen that it was no longer in disguise. Right? Here's Delilah standing right in front of Samson. She represents the Philistines. God has called Samson to deliver them from the Philistines. And yet, directly in front of him, what does Delilah do? Delilah begins to ask him what she can do to defeat him. So sin is right out front. And Samson had become so arrogant that he believed, oh, I can tell you, and you still can't beat me. You still can't beat me. And so Samson has this back and forth in his mind of, well, you know, I hope that he would say, you know, should I tell or should I not? But immediately he begins to come up with these answers that really honestly are very, very close to the truth of what actually would defeat him. You see, the first step in acting towards temptation Remember, desire tempts us, and then we begin to act. The first step in acting towards temptation is the belief that you never will act towards temptation. Right? That you would say, you know, don't you love it when there's uh, young couples who don't have kids, and they see your kids acting up in Walmart, and they say, oh, my kids will never act like that. And you just laugh and keep walking because you know their kids are going to act exactly like that, right? Right? It's the same thing with Samson. Samson sees sin. He sees Delilah. And he says, 
oh, she will never defeat me. Which is the first step to being defeated. You see, you have to accept the reality that the enemy is smarter than you. And he can devise and he can work ways in that if you depend on your flesh only like Samson did, you will lose every single time. And so here's Samson, and Delilah says, how can I beat you? And so Samson said in verse 7, well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been bound, and she bound him with them. Now, I'm not sure how that happened, but it says that in verse 9, now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah, verse 10, said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound, which again doesn't make any sense. But in verse 11, he said to her, He didn't say, Why did you do that to me? He didn't say, What's going on here? He said, Oh, it's simple. Let me tell you. He says, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so verse 12, Delilah took new ropes and she bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off of his arms like a thread. Again, doesn't make any sense, but neither does sin. Neither does sin. You see, here's Delilah trying to trick Samson Uh, you know, I guess you could say trick. She's very direct, trying to entice him into telling what it is and where his strength comes from. And yet Samson is still entertaining that. He's still towing the line of temptation. And so as we we think about temptation, I just want to mention here about temptation that Samson teaches us a couple of things about it. So as you think about in your own life, you know, what does that look like? What is temptation for you? What safeguards do you have in place? What boundaries do you have in place to help safeguard against those things? Well, a few things I just want to mention about temptation. The first thing is that exposing ourselves to temptation, this might be the most obvious thing we say, exposing ourselves to temptation makes you very vulnerable. Look, the Bible says, and I believe, that the Spirit of God controls everything in your life. The Bible says that God knows every, the number of every hair on your head. He knows every day that is numbered from the womb. He saw you. God knows absolutely everything about you. And you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof until God says something different, right? That there's nothing that the enemy can't do without permission from God. But when we intentionally expose ourselves to the enemy, we are putting ourselves in situations that make us vulnerable to the enemy. Again, no one would willingly allow a dangerous animal in your front yard that you would just mingle with. And so when we talk about temptation and you think about those things, ask yourself this question, am I exposing myself to that temptation? Is the temptation that you struggle with the most something that you're around a lot? Well, that's making you vulnerable. You're putting yourself in a situation to where you could give in to that temptation. The second thing about temptation that Samson teaches us, and again, this is very obvious, is that temptation is very tempting, right? 
I mean, let's think about salvation for a second. How can you be saved? Simple. All you have to do is be perfect, to which no one can do, right? And so the Bible says that because of our sinfulness, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So the simple answer of how to be saved and the only answer to be saved is through Jesus, right? Because if you and I could be perfect, there would be some perfect people. But there's only one who's ever been perfect. And so that tells us that temptation is very tempting. And so what I mean by that is in your own life, whatever that temptation is, if you could defeat that sin, you already would have. When you thought about it, the reality that that sin was present in your life was evidence of the fact that it's still tempting to you. And then number three as we see from Samson about temptation, is that you and I are products of our environment. So if there's a temptation in your life, you know, again, Samson was women, then you shouldn't put yourself in an environment where that's the temptation of other people. You know, there's an old saying that says, birds of a feather flock together. There's an old saying that says, misery draws company. You know what those things mean? You're a product of your environment. That when you put yourself in a situation where people are doing what you don't need to do, you're going to start doing what you don't need to do. And so what uh, Samson is doing is he's putting himself in situations to where he's doing things that he doesn't need to do because that's his environment. I mean, what is Delilah? She's just like Samson. She's very self-serving. Samson is trying to get everything that he can get for himself satisfy all the desires of his flesh. And what is Delilah doing? The exact same thing. She's trying to get everything that she can get. She's waiting to cash in that big 550-year check, right? And so here is this illustration of this temptation that all of us can say, you know what? Sin is very tempting. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable, but for a season. And when we put ourselves in those environments, we will ultimately fail if we do not depend upon God. You see, Samson's weakness was for Philistine women, the lady in Timnah, the prostitute in Gaza, now Delilah. And so what Samson had done is he put himself in a situation to where it was accessible. And in his weakness for women, he thought they would never defeat him. And yet the Bible declares that in our weaknesses and temptation, what should we do? Well, 2 Timothy 2, 22, so it been a good verse for Samson to read. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. So what is the Bible telling us about temptation? To flee temptation. It's not saying to guard up and stand and get your sword out and get into a battle. That is not what it's saying. It said run. Run. But that's not what we do oftentimes when it comes to temptation. It is not what Samson is doing when it comes to temptation. Samson sees a woman that is tempting to him, and what does he do? He approaches her. He engages her. He ends up going to sleep in Delilah's lap, right? The Bible commands us to run from these situations, and yet we often stick around. In verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, 
Until now you have mocked me and you have told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so while he slept, again, who goes to sleep in that situation? Delilah took the seven locks of his head and she wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pen. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, and he pulled away from the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say that I love you when your heart is not with me? Oh, now she's playing on his heartstrings, right? You've mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and she urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all of his heart. And said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Now, it's interesting that he knows, he still remembers this. He says, If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So ignorance is not his problem. Let let me say that for me and you. When it comes to sin, ignorance is not our problem. Right? The whole, oh, I didn't know. Well, that doesn't work because you did know. How did you know? Right? We've got the Word of God that declares what it means to pursue righteousness. We've got the do's and do nots, right? To to simplify it. And, And so Samson was not ignorant of what Samson should be doing. He tells her, I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. In other words, God has called me to do something very specific, and God's presence is supposed to be evident in my life. And so for 40 years, Samson has kept the vow. So again, ignorance is not his problem. So in verse 18, Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart. And you know what? She wasn't impressed. So she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, For he has told me all of his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came to her, and they brought the money in in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That is a very sad verse. So here's Samson and Delilah, both using each other to serve one another's own selfish desires. And he tells her of his ultimate strength, and he goes to sleep. Now, clearly, he now believes that his strength is from this Nazarite vow. But he doesn't act on that belief. He acts on the belief that he is the source of his strength. He believed that his strength was external. And of course, we know, and Samson came, unfortunately, for him to know, that God's power is not something that is external. As I mentioned earlier, we may have outward losses, but inward victories That is why an internal win may look like an external loss because the strength 
from God comes from inside. And so in spite of all of this, we see Samson's failure. But I also want you to see the perspective of God in this story. What, what does God do in this story? What, what is interesting here is that God continues to work through Samson. And so the principle tonight is that God can work in our lives even when we're not following the rules. God can, God can do things. God can move on your behalf. God can move on my behalf, which again is evidence of Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that God can use us in spite of ourselves. You know, I've often said, if God can speak through a donkey, He can use me, right? I mean, He can use you in spite of your failures, in spite of the things uh, that ensnare you or tempt you, in spite of the failures that are exhibited in our own lives, God can still work in our lives. That God's presence is not evident of our obedience. You see, Samson's not being obedient here, but yet God is still present and working in this situation. So you have to be very careful when you're toying with sin that you think in your mind that it's okay for you to allow that sin to still be present if God is still moving. God is going to work regardless of what you do, okay? That's why it's such a big deal to me that we get to be a part of the things that God does. Because I don't, God doesn't have to allow me to be a part of those things, right? You know, years from now, here's what's going to happen. You know, this will be really neat for your children and children's children. People are going to talk about what God did at Michael Memorial Baptist Church. They are. People are going to talk about this era. People are going to talk about culture. And people are going to talk about how things happen. And it may not make national news, but I can assure you it makes heaven's news. The world is going to talk about the things that God did in your life. They're going to talk about the stories of how God planted churches through Michael Memorial Baptist Church in Brazil. They're going to talk about how God worked uh, on the uh, mission field in Arizona through the Indian Reservation. They're going to talk about how God raised up students in ministry to go on and be champions for the kingdom. People are going to talk about what God is doing at Michael Memorial Baptist Church. And chances are we may not be around to hear it. But they're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about all the things that God did through Joseph's home. They're going to talk about all the ways that God used discipleship groups. All of these things are going to be talked about as evidence of what God did. And that's something that we get to be a part of. It's easy for us to lose the context because we are in such a special place. But I can assure you, when you look outside the four walls, this is not the norm. I was reading a thing today about seminary pastors, and they said that the average church in the United States, I think, is like 50 or 60 people, something like that. And so uh, they were saying uh, that uh, it's a single-digit percentage of churches are over 250 people. And their problem is, is that they're trying to train new pastors with the expectation that you are going to pastor a church with 50 people. Right? It's not a thousand people doesn't mark success. It's world changers for the kingdom that mark success. And that was the point of the article is that there are things that God is going to do and it's probably going to be through 50 people or 100 people or 300 people or in our case, six or 700 people. This is not the norm. 
And so this is something that we get to be a part of. And Samson lost the reality that he allowed temptation to supersede the special reality of God working in his life. Don't miss the get-to of God's activity in your life. Don't allow the temptation and certainly the temporal temptation of sin to lure you away or to destroy a witness of what God is trying to do in you and through you. You see, the Spirit of God infused into our lives is what makes us special. It is what made Samson special. And so multiple times in the past two chapters, we've seen the Bible declare about Samson, the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And the stories that are most impactful for you and to you and to me are the stories of which we hear how God used something that didn't seem could be used and yet did something great with it, right? Wouldn't you like for that to be the story of your life and the pages of history? Whether it's, you know, again, globally, or if it's just within the history of your ancestry, that you would say that was someone who God radically used. Samson had a chance for that to be true, but he towed the line of temptation to the point to where it destroyed him. And it is certainly a warning for us. You see, Ambrose said, Brave Samson strangled a lion, but he could not strangle his own love. We see for the first time in Judges that God's judge has been defeated. In verse 21, it says, The Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the meal in the prison. Don't miss the irony of this tonight that the eyes that constantly got him into trouble was the very thing that God allowed to be taken away. You see, Samson had been morally and spiritually blind, and now he is physically blind. What a warning. In verse 22 it says, But the hair of his head began to grow again, after it had been shaved. And so another principle in this text that we see is that even in our failures, God is working to restore us. So if you're here tonight and you say, man, me and temptation, we're pretty close friends. Or me and sin, or, you know, I'm, I'm entangled in some things that I don't need to be involved in. And maybe somebody knows, and I don't know, maybe they don't. Here is the nugget of grace That in our failures, God is working to restore us. Even in Samson's failure, it would seem that God was like, all right, that's it, I'm done. I'll I'll use somebody else. But that's not what he did. It says that his hair began to grow. The Bible tells us about somebody's hair growing because it matters. You see, the point is for Samson and for you and me, it's not if we fail. Look, you didn't come in here tonight saying, you know, I'm here on Wednesday night and and I'm probably going to be one of the only perfect people here. No, that's not what you came in. You came in here tonight knowing that you failed. You may have failed in the car on the way here or in your mind on the way in here or, you know, at work today or whatever. You failed, okay? Because sin does that to you and to me. We're all failures in, in, in sin. I mean, that's just the reality. It's not if you do it, it's when you do it. It's how you do it. 
You see, we are going to fail. Every one of us has given in to temptation, and you will give in again, but it is our response to that. Our response needs to be that we would learn from it, that we would grow from it, not that we would allow it to define us or to defeat us. Samson had a chance. The lady at Timnah, you know what? That didn't work out. I got in this huge fight. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, all right, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Well, okay, I went to Gaza, and there was a prostitute in Gaza, and I got into some trouble. I ended up in this huge fight, but I'm sorry, and and God, I'm going to follow you. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. And so when we look at this, our response needs to be that we learn from it, that it doesn't define us. But when you stick around in temptation, it begins to define you. The road to victory in temptation is simply to identify temptation in your life. That you have to identify these things. So I wrote here in my notes, when is the last time that you said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? Right? That you've got to be willing to admit your failures. That you've got to have somebody that you trust and that you love that you say, Man, look, I'm struggling with this. I can't overcome this. This is catching me up. That there's someone that, because again, if you could do it yourself, you already would have. And so you got to bring somebody in beside you to help you with that. You see, you cannot learn from what you won't admit. You're not going to grow through temptation if you're not willing to admit that you have temptation, that you give in to temptation, that you're exposed to temptation, or even that, that whatever that is, is tempting to you. That you, The only way you're going to grow from it is that you have to admit it. Now again, I don't need to know that. It's not going to do you any good to tell me. You need to talk to God about that. And then there needs to be somebody in your life that you say, I need help. If Samson would have just raised his hand and said, hey, I'm in trouble. I need some help. That's why there's community. That's why there's small groups and D groups. Is that you would say, I'm struggling with this. And I want to be what God wants me to be. Look, no one is going to look down on you if you say, I have a confession. I'm struggling with this. And I want to be who God wants me to be. You know what we're going to do? We're going to rally around you. You tell me that in confidence and in love, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to help you safeguard against that. I'm going to try to walk alongside you. I'm not going to think, wow, man, what a loser. Who would be tempted by that? No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, how can I help you? Because you know what? Every one of us knows how that feels. Every one of us knows what that's like. And so we've got to come to the point that we're willing to admit it because when we fail, we have to confess before we can move forward. But here's why we don't do this. We don't call it what it is. We don't. Today, sin is called by many names, except for sin. Right? It's not popular. It's not popular. It's not manly to apologize. Right? We got to keep our position. I can't let people know I made a mistake. I can't let them know that I failed. I can't humble myself and submit myself to that person and say, you know what, I I should not have said that. I should not have done that. Or, hey, I struggle with this or I struggle with that. Right? We we don't want to call sin 
what it is. We, we want to dress it up or we want to, and that was just my opinion, okay, disclosure here. But in the Baptist church many years ago, we got into this big rededication festival, right? And we would be convicted of our sin, and what would we do? We wouldn't repent. No, because that indicated I did something wrong and I need to turn from sin. We would just rededicate. We would come down, I just I need to rededicate my life. I want to rededicate to Jesus. Well, why would you need to rededicate? There's so many people who rededicated, they wore out their dedicator, right? They just kept rededicating and rededicating. How about you repent? How about that? There's sin in your life? Repent. Why do you have to keep rededicating something that you didn't lose dedication to? Why did you lose dedication? Because you sinned. And you need to repent from that. That's what temptation, that is the end of temptation, okay? Samson full well could tell you that is the end of temptation. Call sin, sin. Thankfully, like God did with Samson, in love for you and for me, God calls us to repent, to come back to Him. You see, there is no restoration without confession. There is no restoration without confession. The Bible says if you want to be saved, Romans 10, 9, you have to confess with your mouth. You have to confess. Again, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what sin is in your life that's ensnaring you. You have to confess. That's how you get to restoration. Think about the prodigal son. You know the story, Luke chapter 15. He goes off, he comes back, he's you know, wasted all the money, he'd been eating with the pigs, he, he runs back. And what does he say in verse 21? It says, the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He confessed. He confessed. And what happened after his confession? There was restoration. There was restoration in confession. You see, Samson knew, as I mentioned earlier, what it was like to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you're here tonight and you're a believer, you know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so let me say to you, I'll help you with discernment, what it feels like to be uh, filled with the Spirit of God, and if you're not super familiar with that, you at least know if you're saved what it feels like when you got saved. That's what that feels like, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Anything other than that is not filled with the Spirit of God, all right? Suffice it to say. So when there's sin in your life or, you know, fleshly desires are filling the blank, it is not the same as being filled with the Spirit of God. Samson knew that feeling because when Samson was filled with the Spirit of God, he did things that ordinarily he could not do. All right? So in our lives today, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, what does that mean? That we can do things that we ordinarily could not do. Now, chances are you're probably not going to pull up the city gates down to the post and haul them off for 37 miles. Probably not going to happen. But it looks like being able to forgive someone that has offended you. That's supernatural, by the way. It looks like you being able to love someone that's hard to love. It looks like you being able to live for God in spite of the fact that you have failed God. That's being filled with the Spirit of God. And we need to be able to know 
and to be drawn to that and to yearn for that. that what, that's what it means to pursue righteousness. That's what it means to be filled with righteousness. It's to be filled with the Spirit of God. He knew the difference between walking with God and following His flesh, and yet He chose the latter. This is a story. It's an example of what happens when we do not repent. So the warning is that if we don't listen, when God whispers to us in love, that He will make us listen when He shouts in discipline. Samson is being disciplined right now. Samson has no eyes. Samson is a slave, and he is, ca- he is in captivity to the Philistines. Not because God doesn't love him, but because God loves him. Samson was on a path to destruction, and God whispered in many different ways through people, through circumstances, for Samson to straighten up, and Samson did not do it. And so God is disciplining him. You see, God's purpose in discipline is not to destroy Samson. God's purpose in disciplining us is not to destroy us, but it is to build us back up. How do we know that to be true? How do we know, how can we believe that God's purpose in discipline is to build us back up? Well, it's easy. It's because God's discipline is never isolated from his restoration. What did God want to do with Samson's life? To deliver them from the Philistines, right? That was the calling. He wanted to deliver them. He wanted to restore the relationship between God and Israel. You see, God's purpose is always to bring us back to himself. There is always a path back to God. That God will forgive us, the Bible says, if we confess, 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And forgiveness for Samson, forgiveness for you and for me is immediate. But restoration may not be. There's consequences to our sin. And if you dabble in temptation long enough, it will turn into sin. And there will be consequences for our sin. For Samson, the consequences are very, very high. Chances are you may not have your eyes gouged out. Chances are you may not go into captivity by the Philistines. But chances are the results may be very similar, if not worse. And so here's Samson immediately being forgiven and yet not immediately being restored. And so what I want to encourage you with tonight is this. That if there, when there is sin in our lives and we repent of that sin, the restoration to where God wants us to go may not happen overnight. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says that his hair began to grow in verse 22 and then verse 23. The lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. So it's really all about themselves here. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, which is it's, 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 it's discouraging. It, it kind of ticks me off a little bit. That here, the Philistines are talking about, oh, look what our God did. Look what our God did. Look what our God did. When Samson's God, our God, Yahweh, 
created a man that could kill a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, that could rip posts out of the ground and carry them for miles upon miles, and yet that was not reflective of Yahweh God. Doesn't that frustrate you? And yet I would then think in my own life that God would look down and say, well, he could be frustrated with me, that when he does amazing things in my life, that I don't always point those things to the one who did them. And yet the Philistines were giving a false god credit. Kind of ticks me off. And the people saw him. They praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they're, they're making a mockery of Samson. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. I mean, he didn't have it a choice. And so they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes." So here is Samson, uh, seemingly repentant and focused on what God originally called him to do. He stands in the middle of this ceremony meant to celebrate a false god, the god of grain. And they think that, you know, their false god had given them the victory. And so here is Samson in the middle of this ceremony. And what does God do? Well, here's what God does. God uses Samson's weakness and his blindness to bring victory. He, he uses the weakness of Samson to bring about the victory. Now, he had, God had many opportunities in Samson's life to use Samson's strength, but yet he chose to use Samson's weakness. The very opposite of the things that Samson was known for, the very things that brought about Samson's demise were the very things that God ended up using to bring about victory. That God is using his blindness, even though it is a result of Samson's failure. So Samson prays that God would use him. Interestingly enough, this is the only time that Samson prays before he uses his strength. And so in verse 29, he grabbed the two middle pillars on which the house rested... He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all of his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eschatol uh, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. So Samson, in his death, the Bible teaches, killed more than he did in his life. And so there's many, many things in the story. I, I just want to review just a few things here as we, as we wrap up Samson. The first thing is, I want to encourage you to admit your failures before your failures admit you. 
Samson's failures admitted him. Samson did not admit his failures. You see, the first step to restoration, remember, is confession. To admit. The second thing we see from this story is that our strength comes from forgiveness. Samson was able to finish the task that God had given him, not because of his fortitude, but because of God's forgiveness. God continued to use Samson to complete the mission in spite of the fact that Samson was all about Samson. So find your strength in forgiveness. Find the reality that there are weaknesses in your life, that there are failures in your life, that there is temptation in your life, and allow God's forgiveness to be the defining strength of who you are, not your strength. Number three is when you do confess, be patient. Be patient in restoration. That God has perfect timing. And that you may think that God should be using you faster than God is using you. Or that God maybe should be doing something or needs to do something quicker in your life than you think he needs to do that. And that's not the case. I know in my own life where there were times where I felt like God should be or I wanted God to be doing something faster in my life. And that was just not the case. And I learned through a couple of life lessons that, look, let it be when it is. That when God decides to use you and God wants to use you, God will use you. Now, we don't know the exact time frame between when Samson uh, was captured and when Samson ended up dying. We don't know the exact time frame here. But here's what we do know, that if, his hair, if the hair on his head had time to grow back, it took a little while. So in your own restoration, when there is sin and you confess that, be patient that God will work it out. When the time is right, God will do what God does. You see, it took some time for Samson's hair, and it may take some time for you and for me to be where God wants us to be. And then last but not least, and maybe the most encouraging, is to allow your weakness to declare His greatness. Look, you don't have to be great to be used. You don't have to be perfect to be used. Praise God. It is your weakness. It is my weakness that declares the greatness of God. And before you go, hang on, I want to read one more thing to you. How do we know that? The Bible tells us. What does the Bible say? I just want you to listen. It's on the bottom of your handout. Hebrews eleven thirty two through 34. What more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. What are they telling about? Who through faith. So thank God that the end of Samson's life is known for what? Faith. That in spite of all the stupid things that Samson did, in spite of all the times that he failed, in spite of the fact that he pursued his own flesh instead of living through the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God, that God still did what? He still worked in his life. 
that there's still hope for you and for me, that when we look in the mirror and we see the things that we've done wrong, that when we feel like that we've messed up or that we've sinned too much or that God can't use us, that in spite of all that, there was a a feeble, blind man who stood in front of the Philistines and destroyed more for the kingdom of God than he had in his entire life because of why? Because he believed that God could. He didn't ask to lean against those pillars because he didn't think God would do something. He wanted his arms on the pillars because he knew God would do something. And so I want to challenge you tonight. Don't walk away thinking, man, I got to I got to get right on this temptation stuff. No, I want you to walk away saying, I believe that in spite of that, God can still use me. I believe that in spite of that, when the stories are told decades and centuries from now, if the earth tarries, that God worked in the midst of Michael Memorial, that he worked in the midst of your family, that your name will be written in the heritage of that because you got to be a part of what God was doing. It wasn't because you were good. It wasn't because we're special. It's because he is good. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, do not be defeated by the reality that sin is present in your life. That is not new information. Don't let the enemy use that to condemn you. You knew that before you came in here. The reality is, and what the enemy doesn't want you to know, is that in spite of that, there is a God who can still use you and a God who can still define your life in spite of all the things that me and you constantly jack up, right? That is the encouragement. You may be blind. You may be feeble, but if you stand between those two pillars and have faith, God can do anything with your life. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you for the instruction, for the hope, God, for the reality that we are always useful in the kingdom if we're willing to have faith. God, I do pray that you would help us in the battle against sin. I'm so thankful that you sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to help us to have discernment, to help us to know right from wrong. And Lord, I know for many people that sin is a tremendous issue. We all struggle with some give in way too many times than others. And so Lord, I pray for strength against the enemy. I pray, God, as the Word of God says, that you would give us protection. God, that you would help us to have people stand beside us as Moses had. God, when he was too weak to hold his arms up, that there were people who stood beside him, and they helped him to stand strong. God, we need people in our life to help us stand strong. But God, in order to get help, we got to ask. In order to get help, we've got to be willing to confess So, Lord, I pray for humility. God, I pray for guidance, most of all for forgiveness, and that you would use us, that you would continue. Thank you, God, that you would continue to allow us to be a part of what you are doing. Thank you for Samson, but most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great night.